Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone is keeping well in the world right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everyone's doing splendid this morning, noon, evening, or afternoon, wherever you are, or night, even. Hello everyone. Yeah. <laughs> if this was holog hologram for a green king, it would have been much better. <laughs> it. Uh, I, I mean, I know we'll get into, it, but I don't think we could have picked anything much worse. <laughs> Just a hologram for a king. The only reason I picked this film was because it was the latest Tom Hanks film that I'd never heard of. So I thought if we go with something a bit different that we might not know about, maybe there's a reason for it. But let's get into it. But um, yeah, this is a bit of an odd one. My question to you is, do people listen to podcasts at night? Mm. Is, there a, is there a cutoff to when you would listen to a podcast in a in a day depends if you work nights no let okay we're not talking about the socially awkward we're talking about <laughs> like normal person that works uh you know a, a a nine to five or a version of that is there a sweet spot cut off point where you know you wouldn't listen to a podcast or are you a 24-hour party podcaster i mean I, i've i think the only time i would at night time is if i'm like doing either washing up or ironing or something like that. Mm. Um, well, I got into a stage of watching the fan casts, like the preview show on a Friday night. So I put Corey to bed and on a Friday night, I get the ironing board out in the bedroom. Oh, this is fucking living the eye life. This is uh, <laughs> sit there with a little tablet on the, on the, the dressing table thing and watching that and then listening to podcasts because it's normally about two hours worth of backlog. And then I'd have a not, if there was no Friday night football on and that, that'd be, that'd do me. And I'll, I'll be quite content with it, but just out of choice, just roaming the house, listening to podcasts after after 5pm, nah, it's, it's weird behaviour, that is. Yeah, I agree. I think, like, my cut-off is probably about 6 o'clock once um, House of Games starts. I think then I've, like, I've done the cooking and stuff at that point, usually, and then I'll sit down, eat, and watch TV for the rest of the evening. It's only for, like, I'm going out and I might have it on in the car or something, but generally speaking, it's exceptional circumstances if it's after 6pm for me. Mm, I think that's fair. I Like, some someone I was speaking to was telling me that they, um, like, they'll go to sleep with a podcast on, and I was like, but then are you, like subconsciously consuming their opinion and you're like you know whatever outlandish opinion they have on a film or or whatever that you'll end up consuming and i was like you know you end up is it in friends when chandler wants to stop smoking but it's like the independent woman (laughs) one or whatever it is yeah i'd be worried that that was going to happen like when you listen you're supposed to listen to like french tapes and stuff so it it bleeds into your subconsciousness yeah exactly Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure that actually works. I couldn't do that because if it was a good podcast, I would want to like know what was happening. So then I wouldn't fall asleep. And if it was a shit podcast, then I wouldn't want to listen to it in the first place. So 
Yeah, I'd, it's not for, for sleeping for me. I mean, it, it doesn't work because this exact thing happened on the way back from Newcastle a few weeks, well, about a month ago, where we got back on the couch after another miserable day out um, and several points earlier on in the day and sat on the sat on the couch 10 minutes later, earbuds in. I thought, well, that's it then. And then I got woke up by some bad couch karaoke going on and that was there an hour later. And I had been listening to an Xbox show for an hour and a half. Don't remember anything about it. None of it sunk in. All gone. So it's it's clearly bollocks. No. Yeah, it is. Mm. Omelette de fromage. That's what I'm going to say. Mm. Deep cut, if you remember <laughs> that one. It is a bit. Um, right, anyway, this film. I had absolutely no hopes and fears on this because I knew nothing, absolutely nothing about this movie other than it was Tom Hanks, and I also saw that Ben Whishaw was on the list, who I like from Paddington, which is fine, I guess. Um, Matt, anything about this film at all ever penetrated your subconscious? No, nothing at all, to be fair. Um, completely foreign, which is the best choice of words for this film. Um, no, I hadn't a clue about it, so I can see it with completely fresh eyes. Mm. Stu, you delve the depths of the internet if you've stumbled <laughs> across this one before no and considering <laughs> considering it, it's very loosely based around like hologram and weird like future technology come true you think oh it's going to at least appear in like a, a tiktok or something like that or an article somewhere of oh that hmm. five years later this is now possible no <laughs> never it's like it didn't exist yeah to say it's very loosely based around technology <laughs> yeah. is even that is overstating it. There's, there's, two, there's two minutes. Yeah, for for something of Tom Hanks, even though there's no one else really supporting him in this one, it's a bit bizarre that it got absolutely zero airplay. Um, I was looking at the director because his name is Tom Tyqua, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Um, I could be completely wrong. It might be Tyke Ver because he's German. He is known for writing and directing Run Lola Run, which I think is probably his best known film. Um, he was the writer on Cloud Atlas, which probably explains a lot. There's not a lot really that you'd know him from looking at his IMDb page. He's, and I think that might not have helped his case here either in getting this one up and running. Um, so, according to IMDb, if I'm on the right page, this film is described as a failed American sales rep looks to recoup his losses by travelling to Saudi Arabia and selling his company's product to a wealthy monarch. So, I'm guessing that's where A Hologram for the King comes from. Like, the whole title of this movie is literally, he's trying to sell a hologram telephone to the king. That doesn't seem to play a very big part in this movie at all, but like I just think it's a really terrible title for what this movie is, to be honest. It's just a MacGuffin. It's just a plot device. of a, t- a, a title is a plot device, which I didn't know was even a thing, but it mm. is. It left a bad taste in my mouth, I'll be honest. I, I don't know what it was, but it, I don't know, because it doesn't evoke anything. And I think that's why I didn't like it, is that it didn't give me any nice feelings about it. Before I even got there, bit shit, really. I think because Lost in Translation was already taken. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this film opens up with Hanks doing a Talking Heads once in a lifetime cover in a semi-animated weird dream sequence. Immediately, that got me interested. I really liked the look of that. And I thought, oh, this, this film isn't going to be a Tom Hanks standard. It's going to be a little bit weird. Yeah, it, it, it didn't really stick around after that, unfortunately. Hanks plays Alan Clay. He's been sent to Saudi Arabia to sell some shite to the king because apparently <laughs> he had links to the king of Saudi Arabia because he once met his nephew in the shitter. Thanks to jet lag, Clay is late to a meeting, so hires a car and a driver, Youssef, played by the Egyptian-American actor Omar Elba. There's a moment in the car where Youssef is playing Chicago, you're the inspiration at Alan. It was a bit weird. He then plays some experimental jazz at him. <laughs> I don't know if this film is supposed to be funny or if it's just weird, but what, what I assume was attempts at humour didn't land at all with me. Not in the beginning, not throughout most of this film. Matt, what are you thinking with it? Um, I didn't mind it at the start. I like I like the opening. Um, I thought, oh, this is strange. I didn't expect this. On my notes that I wrote, I put down because you, you pretty much had already said your disdain for this film in the group chat like a week <laughs> ago, and I and I put it down in my notes. This looks like Andy's kind of film. Like a slightly abstract, um, yeah. you know, kind of film, um, and I didn't. Yeah, I, I, I was interested, but not necessarily entertained. Like going to a national trust. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. uh, it was fine. I wanted to know what was going on with it. Um, it was quirky in its humour, um, but I, yeah, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate mm. it at the start. I think it, you know, I was interested to know kind of where, what direction it was going to go in at least for the first, um, you know, the first act or so. Mm. Stu, did you laugh at all? In, I mean, not just the beginning. Did you find any of this funny? I didn't laugh. I mean, it. I suppose it was when they used to have like David Letterman was described as a humorist, where it was just, yeah. it was just like the odd giggle here and there. I mean, it, it didn't bore me at any point, amazingly. Um, but you, you got up to this bit. I mean, you got the, the whole nonsense with the car and like, the, the bomb and all that kind of stuff. I thought, it's just ridiculous. And then he's talking about the, he's got the, the woman that he's he's trying, to, he's trying to see and all this kind of thing. And I thought, it's just odd. <laughs> it, it was just... I, mean, it, it, I don't know what it, what it was supposed to be, but... Mm. I've I've laughed at a lot weirder things than this and a lot sicker things than this, but this was just it didn't seem like it wanted you to laugh with it. It was just oh, this is something weird that's going on. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, yeah, weird and odd. I think of the the, the opportune words with this one. Uh, eventually, Clay arrives at his presentation where he is shown what the king wants to build in the next decade, a one and a half billion population holding city in the area which is now currently entirely sand. Clay meets his team, three Americans. Whilst meeting his team, he falls, which we later see this fall has caused a massive lump to grow on his back. We get given flashbacks to Clay divorcing his wife and struggling to pay for his daughter's education, and then hear from his daughter, 
how she's struggling with her mom being a bitch and wanting her father to do well. Then Clay calls his old man who puts on some crock, sorry, crack pot conspiracy nuts uh, before Clay just hangs up on him. That's about 20 minutes at that point. So I think that's the first act over and done with. Um, and anything else to add on, on what you, th- you found in the first 20 odd minutes, Matt? I thought that the the dynamic um, between Yusuf and uh, Cage's Clay uh, character was interesting enough. Um, you, you know, pretty early on, I, I, I didn't mind the kind of fish out of waterness of it. I thought, you know, they're doing a decent enough job of showing how awkward he is and how he's in some parts and probably like real life how there's going to be certain elements of that country because they're um, they're obviously catering for a Western audience, that it's very Stepford Wives-esque, mm. if that makes any sense. Um, and I liked that element of it. I thought they'd, they'd, they'd done that quite well. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't bored, but I wasn't thrilled. I, I wasn't, it was like, it wasn't must, must watch TV or, or must watch film or anything, but I certainly wasn't, you know, couldn't wait for it to end or anything like that. It was, it was, it was just fine, which is kind of what we said about certain Tom Hanks films <laughs> on the last podcast. There's a lot of like just fine about him, I guess, and that kind of was true to this film as well. Mm. Stu, have you got anything else to add? Yeah, I, I never picked up on that that how the boil thing came from him being unable to sit on a chair properly. Uh, that completely went out of my head. And I thought, oh, well, this has just happened. And whether then he comes back again later on and he does it again. Well, what is, I don't see the point in it, but there we are. That's explained now. Um, yeah, I think, like, you put it, it just seems like a big PR exercise for Saudi Arabia. I thought the complete opposite, especially at this point. I thought, well, this place just looks shit. Like, why, why, why would anyone want to go here? And I had the same thing in Qatar in the World Cup. It's like, well, it's not, it's just clearly very fake. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's all, there's no beer. You, there's no bar. Well, <laughs> what is the point of being in? And then to put him in a tent to the other side of the road from the hotel itself. And I thought, oh, that was quite funny. And then when he had to keep, when he went into the woman on reception, that's just a desk in the middle of a room. <laughs> um, I thought, well, he's clearly going to start getting mad at her later on. And obviously that's what happened. But yeah, it was just. It was just there. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Like the most interesting thing I thought was the interactions between Hanks and Yusef. I thought that their little dynamic was fine and I wanted a bit more of that. But there wasn't enough of it in the beginning and there was a lot of periphery, which wasn't all that enticing. Um, anyway, moving on. He wakes up late once again due to the jet lag. He calls Yusef again. This time we get a bit of turn to stone by Birmingham's finest, ELO. This day he at work, he meets Hannah, a member of the Danish delegacy in Arabia. She explains to Clay that the meeting he has been promised with the king is likely horseshit. She gives Clay some booze disguised as, uh, as um, um, olive oil. Couldn't think of what the word I was looking for there. That night, Clay gets drunk. He apologises for being a shit dad and then cuts the lump on his back. (laughs) Yusef takes Clay to a hospital as his back is pouring with blood. 
The physician, Zara, takes a biopsy and tells him to come back for the results. That night, Clay goes to the Danish embassy for a party with Hannah. He arrives and it's like a rave there, completely different to the rest of the world outside. Hannah throws herself at Clay and he says, no, thank you. That's about halfway through at this point. How are you feeling now, Matt? Are you still okay with it at this, in the middle or has uh, it sagged a bit? I am okay with it in the middle, but for all the wrong reasons. And I'm okay with it because of bad storytelling. Now, what I mean by that is <laughs> I don't know what genre this film is now meant to be. <laughs> And in my head, that was intriguing, but actually it's the result of really bad filmmaking. Um, because at this point, I've decided that none of it's real. And he's having... It's all a dream sequence. Ah, yeah. Not necessarily it's a dream, but he's ill from the lump. And he's got sepsis or something. <clears throat> like, at this point now, because there's the constant, like, the people he's meant to be meeting aren't there, and then they are there and then they're this, and then they're that, and then she doesn't exist, or does she exist? And then he walks into the favela within the multi-story building. And <laughs> I was just I was just convinced, oh, this isn't real. This is, And that's why we see the, um, the talking heads bit at the start. Oh, this could be interesting. Well, actually, it's not. Mm. It's just told really badly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so I was, yeah, I was still interested, long um, answer to a short question, but in spite of the film, not because of it. Mm. I think you do make a good point because it does seem to have like a, a Vaseline smeared on the camera lens sort of glowy sheen to the movie, doesn't it? Like it's not quite real, I think. Yeah. I don't know if you've just attributed something much more interesting than what the director intended, but yeah. I, th I think it was my body's defence mechanism to what I was <laughs> yeah. watching. It was like create a story in itself. Um but yeah, I was I was convinced that yeah, there's something afoot here, and we're going to and we're going to like, it was all it, it, he's in a hospital bed, like in the middle of the desert, not even like in a proper you know hospital or anything, and that's mm. him just having hallucinatory reactions or something. But alas, that would have been a bit more interesting. Yeah, Stu, how are you feeling at this point? I mean, it's making it sound a bit like. A bit like a, a mix of the usual suspects and fight club. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a lot more interesting than it actually is. But yeah, I mean, it, looking at it from that way, it does make it a lot better because it, a lot of it doesn't make any sense. Like, we know for well what Saudi Arabia's like, and if there was an actual underground rave, it, they, they'd all be like <laughs> beheaded by the end of the week. Mm. We just... But, I presume having an embassy doesn't cover you from having that kind of thing. And that how he just walked through and, oh, yeah, that was his name. He was clearly not American in that moment. And it was like, well, this is another stupid thing. And I, at this point, I thought, well, yeah, it, it is a piss take. It's got to be. I don't think anything deep and meaningful like Matt did. I thought this is a full on, it is like some kind of weird black comedy that is just not billed as that because none of it made any sense. Like when he when he was smashed and he was like jabbing his thing, I thought it wouldn't have surprised me if it had a face and started talking to him. <laughs> it was that it was that kind of weird at that point. Mm, I think that would have been fantastic, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> so Clay has a panic attack and calls the doctor again. 
Yusef arrives and tells Clay that he has got to get away for a few days because of a woman that he has fallen in love with. Clay joins him and Yusef's um, and joins Yusef and Yusef's cousin, and they accidentally cross into an area for Muslims only. They smuggle Clay into the holy city and tell him if he gets caught, just quote your favourite passage from the Quran. Which was the only time I think I laughed in this entire film. 59 minutes in, I did chuckle at that. That night, Clay, Yusef and his family and friends go hunting wolves. Yusef asks about the USA and if they would support him if he tried to start a revolution in Saudi. Bit weird, to be honest. Whilst Yusef and his family pray, Clay sees the silhouette of a wolf. But before he shoots, the wolf leaves. I'm assuming there was some kind of symbolism in that. But for the fucking life of me, I have absolutely no idea what they was trying to intimate with the wolf being there and then going before attacking. Yeah. I thought it was some kind of American uh, not shoot first and ask questions later. I thought, oh, he's in a different country. He's not doing what everyone expects him to do. I thought that's what that meant. I thought that it was leaning into, oh, he's converting to this way of life and he's having second thoughts about you know he he's like oh shit i actually really like it here but i'm a rooting toot in america and i don't want to mm-hmm. be even like that's 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 kind of how i saw it mm. yeah it could be could be later that week clay returns to the hospital to get his results it's a different doctor who tells him that the lump is precancerous when he's leaving he sees zara in a room on her own and he approaches her, startling her. And before they can talk, another nurse rocks up and asks him what he's doing there. He immediately leaves. At work the following day, everything has changed. Everything he wanted for his team has been provided. And most importantly, the holographic phone network is now in place, just in time for the King's long-awaited arrival. A day later, the doctors, including Zara, remove Clay's lump. Whilst he's daydreaming of his daughter, his mind slips to the doctor. So at this point, it becomes quite obvious that there's some odd love story being told here. It feels very unwarranted because we've had no real interaction. I think we've only had them in the same room three times at this point. One of those is when he was worried about a cancerous lump. The second time he was dying of a panic attack. And the third time is when he scared the shit out of him from saying hello. (laughs) <laughs> but all of a sudden, he's in love with her. It seems really odd. And like we've had 75% of this film where it's all been about him acclimating to Saudi Arabia and his bromance with Yusuf. And now all of a sudden, we're getting flirty emails between him and this doctor. It feels very handbrake turny. Like, it's come out of nowhere, this story. Uh, weird. Matt, yeah. what are your thoughts? Hmm, I was... I, I was assuming it was just because of his disdain for what Yusuf was doing that he was just trying to show that he's now... I was again going down that line of his integrating into this world that he's surprised He's surprised that it's so westernised and there's so te- technological advances and he can see a doctor and get biopsy results on a Sunday and he's starting to like fall for this country, amazingly. Mm. Um and that, yeah, was weird in a way. Um, it was at this point now I started to, especially when that that art ramps up. I was like, oh, this is nah, this it's losing me now. So, yeah, wasn't wasn't very keen on it at this point. 
Yeah. Stu, how did you feel? Because it, it feels to be going very linear in one direction, then all of a sudden we've just gone completely off the tracks with, with this story, haven't we? As soon as they got the Wi-Fi, um, which amazingly, why wouldn't that be sorted? That just seemed a bit weird. Um, once that was sorted and it had all been decked out and everything, and again, going back to the whole Qatar World Cup and we saw how temporary everything is and it looks amazing from uh, in the moment, but then you peek behind the curtain and it's all a shit show. Mm. I thought, well, this is actually all right. Um, but then the email bit started. And he's sitting on what, whatever the hell that thing was that he was sitting on, <laughs> that, that concrete pillar in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> and you had the voiceover with email exchange. It was just weird. Like, it didn't belong at all. And I thought, well, uh, okay, this was a film about <laughs> Lucy based around a hologram, <laughs> to telephone network, and a <laughs> dig at the Chinese in, <laughs> at the same time. And now it's turned into a love story with someone of a different, completely different culture who, like you said, you don't even know. Just weird, 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 weird again. Yeah, very odd. Like, I feel like the film was picking up a little bit when he got to the Holy City and all of that stuff was going on. That bit was good because, I mean, I've obviously never seen a lot of that stuff before. I I was actually quite interested with all that thing where there were... Oh, what what's that big thing? That big temple? Oh, don't look at it. Oh, I thought, oh, that's really really interesting. And like when they were, the police were like trying to approach the car, and he had the thing around his neck. I thought, oh, this is actually genuinely quite, I say sweet, but endearing more than anything else. That that section, and then you go from that to I mean, a voiceover in a, on a bit of concrete with emails. Mad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even the bit where he he told some native to the holy city that he worked for the cia for a short while like that little bit of a joke and thought okay this is more interesting than everything else you've done up until this point and then they just completely dropped it Uh, it it just felt wasteful to be honest the final 20 minutes of this film is clay and zara meeting up both open up about their divorces and children going on a date to zara's beach house where they go swimming and then go get down to bone town they both should be beheaded for such impudence, really, shouldn't they? <laughs> like, if they were caught, they'd be in so much trouble. But here we are, and like, she's very quick at getting her wobbos out as well. Like, she was topless immediately. There was absolutely no, not shame. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, there was no secrecy to it. She was immediately naked. It felt very odd from everything we've known up until this point. Right at the very end, Clay emails his daughter with the entire reason that he was there fell through as the king did not buy his hologram telephone network. (laughs) But he has taken a new job and he's staying in the KSA and we see him living with Zara. And that is the end of the film. So the budget on this movie was $35 million. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The box office return was $11.8 million, which... I mean, whilst that's a dog shit return on a 35 million budget, like we've definitely seen films at the cinema within the last year which haven't hit $12 million. So I don't understand how this one completely passed us by. Uh, This is Tom Hanks' lowest grossing film where he's the top billed name since 1986's Every Time We Say Goodbye, which is another film that I've never even heard of. 
apparently it's a film about a Protestant World War II pilot falling in love with a Jewish girl in Jerusalem. Um, to be honest, I wish I'd have watched that film instead of this one. It couldn't have been any worse. Hanks' top grossing films in order. Um, Toy Story 4, Toy Story 3, Da Vinci Code, Gump, Toy Story 2, Angels and Demons, Saving Private Ryan, Castaway, Toy Story and Apollo 13. Uh, Toy Story alone counts for nearly 2.9 billion of his just over 5 billion earned in a lead role. Um, I mean, that just goes to show the power of the mouse, doesn't it, really, that even someone like Tom Hanks, who has got quite a few films under his belt, over 50% of his movie revenue has come from Toy Story films. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that it's not all that well reviewed, but what do you think the scores on this one are? Matt, 8 to 10, um, 8 to 100, what do you reckon? Fives, fives probably. In the same, yeah, fives, I'd say. I think there'll be some people that enjoyed its quirkiness. There will be some people that will see it as a um, love story in the face of oppression and all that kind of crap. Mm. So, yeah, there'll be an audience for it, but not that many. So, yeah, fives, 5.5, maybe. Yeah. Stu, what do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think you... audience-wise, a bit lower. I'd say four. Let's be, well... The fact that he didn't even make a third of its money back, um, it's obviously not resonating with people very well. And the whole, thing, I'm trying to think what 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 days were like in in 2016. It's quite it's quite hard to do. Um, <laughs> did people hate Saudi Arabia in the Middle East then? Not really, not particularly. Not not that part anyway. Um, the PIF and an investment company and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah. The fact that no one ever talks about it, that it, it's, it didn't make his money back. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it four for audience, and then critics might have been six and a half, seven, because of the quirkiness of it and the fact that it's deliberately artsy in parts. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think we're talking like a nine and a three here. I think it's just middling shitness. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's fairly accurate in fairness. So the... In regards to audience scores, on IMDb, it got a 6.1, and it was a 54% on Rotten Tomatoes. There's a bit of a strange disparity between the critical scores. So if you look at the meta score, which is a weighted score based on what the scores were, it's got a 58, whereas on Rotten Tomatoes, where it's a little bit more binary on the scores, it's got a 70%. Um, But I think it's safe to say all round, it's very middling, it's very middle of the road, which kind of feels in fitting with my experience of the film anyway, to be honest. Uh, so the critical response, Sarah, Sarah Michelle Fetters from Movie Freak. Twyka is happy to let the journey of his main character speak movingly for itself. And in the process, the veteran director brings forth a motion picture I'm going to happily treasure for a long time to come. Jeffrey McNabb of The Independent. Hanks is often cast as the dependable American everyman type. Here he shows a dark and more anxious side to that character. It is one of his richest recent performances. And Jonathan Pyle from Empire Magazine. An adaptation of the Dave Eggers novel that struggles to make itself stand out. Content instead to coast by on gentle comedy and Hanks' charm. 
pleasant, but ultimately forgettable. So those three, I think, seem to be like people who seem to really love it and have seen things in this film that I have absolutely no recollection of. And Jonathan Pyle, who's saying, yeah, it was a film that was made once. And that's very much how I'm feeling about this movie. Amazon.com, um, they must have hated this film because it only got 3.9 out of 5. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, 69% gave it a 4 or 5 star review. There is a 3 star review from Edgar R. Wagner, who said, This strange film in that Tom Hanks gets sentimentally involved with a divorced middle-aged Saudi woman doctor in the Middle East who seems to have no qualms about showing her bare tits in public slash on screen. Just on the bare tits alone, this film has to lose a star. But the whole film is down market, <laughs> shallow and out of character for a top A-lister that Tom Hanks really is. And Mr. P. Esther gave a five-star review titled, It's Got Tom Hanks in It. <laughs> and that's all I need to say. Tom is great in almost everything he does. Is the president's job up for grabs yet? A good film to show how an American who is normally used to everything being set and ready has to adapt to a strange environment and religious culture of Saudi Arabia. Mr. Hanks has that kind of face. You can relate to him, trust him and feel for him. Well, that is unless you don't like him. But who doesn't like Tom? eh? (laughs) Um, Anyway, good, bad and crazy. Stu, kick us off. Um. I'm really stumped because I didn't hate any of it, really. Um, I mean, the bad, obviously. It's it's weird saying the bad thing was the tits, but it made no sense at all. That part didn't make any sense. And she was clearly, if she didn't care about the Saudi stuff, why did she have the head thing on through the whole film? Mm. And then as soon as she's back in her house... And she's in a summer dress, and then she's in the water with her tits out. Does it make any sense? I know that she's not, obviously not a, not a Saudi woman actress anyway, but that doesn't matter. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> the bad is the fact that a lot of it didn't make any sense at all. And <laughs> I mean, the good part, that, that it didn't make any sense, but it didn't detract from anything. <laughs> <laughs> this is it really, it's grasping at straws. The fact that the good part is the fact that I enjoyed it despite the nonsense, but I suppose in a weird way, the bit the bits of Saudi Arabia that like the um, the Holy City uh, and certain cultures and the fact that there, there are people who get around the rules a little bit, I, I like that because what we saw, what we saw in Qatar again. Um, if this if I'd watched this before the World Cup, would I have felt the same way? I don't know, um, mm. but it's like one of them parts of the world. Like, like when they've gone to Saudi Arabia with F one and well, and resting for you. That I thought I don't want to go there. I don't want to ever go there in my entire life. There's no appeal to me whatsoever. Mm. But at the same time, it, it made it look kind of interesting, just because it's something that we don't know anything about. But then again, we've got documentaries for that. Um, yeah. And the crazy is the fact that, as we've said all along, that how, for one, the title is ridiculous. Doesn't make it, it, what is the point of that title? It, it's hardly going to grab anyone's attention if you see that on a poster. 
And that's probably why he, one of the mm. reasons why he only made a third of his money back because you ain't going to get people in with hologram for the king. What the fuck's that mean? <laughs> so it, it's it's almost like an episode of The Apprentice, just picking the whole thing apart. Bad title, bad idea. He <laughs> <laughs> should have been fired at the start, but it was still enjoyable. <laughs> I'm. I'm... I kind of want to know more about the book because I don't know how yeah. popular this book is. I've never heard of it before. But if it's a big enough book to have had a film adapted from it, I wonder if the book is as strange and unyielding as this movie and it all over the shop. I'm a bit confused with that one. Uh, Matt, you're good, bad and crazy, please, sir. Um, the good, um, I liked the... I like the dynamic between Clay and Yusuf. I think it, it in another film that had a stronger direction. I think that not buddy cop, but that fish out of water slash that connection could have been explored and have been um, either in a comedic sense could have been made more fruitful I guess I, I enjoyed it I think you cared in a short space of time you cared about Yusuf or at least I did I thought it was mm-hmm. interesting to see his it's clearly someone that has like idolizes western culture but then he's deeply enriched in his own and wants to start a revolution even if he's only talking about it in passing there was a story there to be told but you know the, it, it, there was a story to be told but it wasn't explored um the bad, and I don't know if this, again, is just bad storytelling, bad filming, direction, everything, but I wasn't, like, comfortable with... It's not sports washing, but there's very little about how truly awful a country like Saudi Arabia and those kind of mm. countries are from a human rights sort of point of view. Um I wouldn't go as far as to say it glamorizes it at all, but at the same time, because, you know, I just, it left a funny taste in my mouth, I think. And a- any yeah. film about, it's just because it's so unusual to see like a Westerner adopting their ways in a sense. And then, I don't know, there was just something uncomfortable about it that I, I was like, it never really, it leads into my crazy, really. I've never known a film with so much wasted potential for storylines because you had it could have gone down the four lions route if it wanted to, comedy wise. Mm-hmm. It it could have gone down like a socio political route in regards to when he's with them and the CIA thing, and him actually being like a homeland, being entrenched in like religion and stuff like that. It could have been a proper love story from the start. It, it wasn't like a jack of all trades, master of none, because it it, it couldn't. You, it's not got to the point where it was jack of all trades. It was like an apprentice in every genre because it never got any further than yeah. the front door. Um, so the crazies really, it it could have gone in so many different directions and been a much better film, but it never really went in any, and that's a shame because there was see there was seeds and little sproutlings of, of, of good themes here, but it was never given the mm. watering that it needed. Yeah, it felt very much like two films just forced together, didn't it? Like mm. like you say, that first half up until the, um, the Holy City stuff, that was a film that could have carried on into something. And then you had the bit with the love story that could have been something. 
and they never really explored either story enough to make either one a fleshed out film in its own right. Um, yeah, it, it kind of felt like it was all fart and nay poo. Like there was just not enough substance to it, unfortunately. Mm. I completely agree on the good side of things. I thought that Omar Elbar as Yusef was the most interesting person in this film. I think he should have been the star of this and we should have been watching the movie through his eyes and it's his interpretation of an American in his land. I think that could have they could have done so much more with that and made that a really interesting story rather than the love out of nowhere. I really liked that opening scene with the Talking Heads dream animation and Tom Hanks doing the the he wasn't singing, but he was talking the lines mm. from Once in a Lifetime. Like, I like talking, Ed, so that would have been brilliant. Like, they really teased me with that and then gave me nothing else afterwards. It's really <laughs> disappointing. <laughs> the bad. Ben Whishaw was fourth on the list in this film. I expected him to have a role in this movie. And he literally plays the hologram from the other side of the world and has maybe two sentences to speak. Like, it's such a letdown. Same with Tom Skerritt. Like, he was on this list as well. And I couldn't even tell you which role he played. I can't even remember him because he was such a non-entity. The stuff with the Danish woman, that was all a bit weird. It came out of nowhere and then immediately was dropped again. Like, it didn't make sense. Neither did the love story with the Doctor. It was just as left field as everything else in this movie. I just found it mostly dull and kind of pointless. They didn't really explore anything with the movie, which made it a very... Like, just a very watered-down film. Mm. There was just no need for it. Um, and I've also got a note, uh, similar to yourself, Matt, I felt like I was watching Saudi Arabian propaganda. Mm. It, I felt uncomfortable watching it. It felt like they were trying to make it, hey, look, we're all progressive and that, and we've got a woman doctor. Well, yeah, but they've only been able to drive for, like, two years, mate. So I was about we do a little bit more on that first. Um and also, I didn't like the fact that every fucker in this film, apart from the Doctor, looked white. Like, they were in yeah. Saudi Arabia, and everyone was very white passing. It looked weird on screen when we're supposed to be in this quote-unquote other society. And there was none of that. That could quite easily have been in downtown Chicago, for example. Like, it didn't feel like we were in Saudi Arabia. I didn't like that of it. And my crazy... Like, how did they spend 35 million on this film? <laughs> there, there is literally one person with a name in this movie. Everyone else is just, you know, their star is about to rise or they're just unknowns filling out the cast. Hank is like, bank. That's why. I mean, that's that's got to be where all the money's gone. Like, I, I looked at a couple of other films to see like where the money was spent. So, like, John Wick 2, for example, was a $40 million budget. Um, the first Fast and Furious was thirty-eight million. If you look at both of those, they've got a lot of set pieces and stuff. This had none of that. The Trial of the Chicago Seven, which was a film a couple of years back that I remember you was a big fan of, Stu. Yeah, it was that, great. That, was. that had a thirty-five million dollar budget, but that was one which had seven fairly sizable name actors in it. So you can't convince me that this film is anything other than a tax write-off. So, right, did you enjoy the film then? Stu? <laughs> and this is where it gets weird because I didn't... I thought about it the next day. Um, I thought, well, 
I didn't hate the fact that I watched. I spent two hours watching or however long it was watching that film yesterday. But then, like I said before we press go, it feels like I watched it two weeks ago, <laughs> <laughs> and it was four days. And it's like, well, will I ever watch it again? Now, of course not. But I don't regret watching it. I mean, I enjoyed. I enjoyed myself in a weird way of what I mean, not in a just oh, it's a terrible film kind of way. It was just very wallpaper. Now mm. I watched it. I watched it in the middle of the afternoon with the the blinds, black air blinds shut, and everything. The proper experience. Middle of the day, I thought that was that was all right. It was a nice way way to spend a bit of time. But that that's about it. I can't know. I can't recommend. I know that's a next question, but I can't recommend it to anyone because who who would watch this? Mm. But for me, I, I I didn't mind it. That's fair. That's fair. Matt, did you enjoy yourself watching this? Uh, yeah. To <laughs> be fair, like, I can't say I'd... I can't say I didn't enjoy it. I just... I'll never watch it again. Or even but think I, of it again. But this, yeah, like... I've, I've, I've watched much worse films that yeah. I've been excited about <laughs> than I've watched this that I knew nothing about and it will never... For the 90 minutes of watching it and the hour of recording this, that'll be two hours and a half that I'll never get back. But they weren't the worst two and a half hours of my life. So, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, I, I, I didn't enjoy it. it the problem is it was beige curtains. It, it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was just there. And that's not enough for a film for me, unfortunately. Like, like you said, Shu, you couldn't recommend it to anyone because no. who the fuck would watch this nonsense <laughs> if they weren't forced to buy a podcast? Um, I'd love to know if any other podcast has covered this film. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if there's anyone out there who's ever watched it other than us three. <laughs> That'd be why it made no money back. <laughs> um, but no, for me, no, I, I didn't. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't hate it, but I didn't enjoy it either. Uh, the next question: Would you cast Cage as any role in this film? Personally, I wouldn't want our beloved Nick Cage anywhere near any of this nonsense. So it's a no from me. Matt, would you cast him in anything here? Um. Yeah, well, I could see him being the Hanks role quite yeah, comfortably, yeah. really. Um, <laughs> I could see him doing it, and it'd be just as shit in that respect. Um, I yeah. could see him doing it. it. It seems a role that he probably... Well, he obviously would take it up because he doesn't say no to anything, but I could see <laughs> him doing it, to be fair. I don't think it would be against, um, you know, against the bookies for it to suggest that he would probably... Do a similarly, you know, a similar job, and probably take that that next step further on in terms of be a bit more abstract with it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, of I, course I, it would. Yeah, I kind of want to see Nick Cage doing Talking Heads covers, though. I've got to admit that, that's one <laughs> thing I would like to see. <laughs> uh, Stu, would you cast him in this movie? Yeah, and it'd be better because it, <laughs> I think that was the bit that was missing, really, because you had the bit, the section of him cutting his back open and when he was pissed and whatever. But it still wasn't mad. It wasn't mental. It was still very, very corporate in a way. Mm. Um, it There was no mental moments in it, which you're obviously going to get with Nick Cage. So 
from that point of view, at, le- at least we could have seen something completely out there if it was him. So, yeah. That's fair. Right then. So the final one, if you enjoyed this film, you may also like. Shoot. I mean, Tom Hanks has done a, a better film where he falls in love with someone from a different part of the world. And that is obviously Splash. So go and watch Splash. <laughs> Excellent choice. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what would you pick? Um, I would pick um, everyone's favourite anti-Semite, um, Mel Gibson, in... Um, <laughs> is it called uh, Get the Gringo? Um, get okay, the- yeah. Because that's kind of a fish out of water, not as funny in any capacity, um, but kind of a fish out of water action advent, action thrillery kind of film that, again, is quite middling. Um, <laughs> I quite enjoyed it, to be fair, but um, it was just kind of a sleeper, kind of out of nowhere. I don't think anyone's ever heard of it. Um, and I had quite a good time with it. And yeah, it's another one of those someone's completely unaware and uncomfortable with their surroundings and how do they get on in that scenario, which I think mm. it's worth a watch and then probably like forget about it for the rest of the time kind of movies. Mm. I, I'd gone with Cloud Atlas because very much like this film, it's quite boring and it's also from the same writer. So it felt very fitting that they would make a, a double bill on this one. They're very similar sort of drab, dreary, They've both got Tom Hanks and they've both got Tom Tyqua. So, yeah, Cloud Atlas. That would be a double bill I would never in a million years want to watch. But if you enjoyed this, you might like that. So, yeah, crack on and enjoy yourself. So that's our first Tom Hanks movie in the record books. If you've seen this one, please let us know because I genuinely would be stunned if there is another human being out there who knows what this film is. Uh, you can get us on cagefightingpod at gmail.com on the email or on any of the socials at cagefightingpod. Please make sure that you're subscribed on whatever podcatcher that you're listening to us on so that you don't miss an episode. And if you could leave us a review, it would really help us on the charts and whatnot, and people might even find this podcast. Uh, So finally, thank you very much for joining us this week. We truly appreciate your time. And for this week, Matthew, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves and have a great and profitable week ahead. And Stuart, would you like to say goodbye? Yeah, goodbye, everyone. And I I did realise that my my choice then was a literal fish out of water story. (laughs) Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah it good. is. <laughs> Very good. Tra. It's goodbye from me and remember. Be excellent to each other. Oh.